0: Hi, my name is Yara and I'm the host of Life After Birth. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I send my respects and reverence to Wajak Noongar elders, past, present and emerging. On this podcast, we share stories and wisdom about the ups and downs of our mothering experiences, much like the First Nations people of Australia have done so through their storytelling for over 60,000 years. Through their oral traditions, the Wajaknunga people have supported and celebrated one another and have passed down knowledge, values and lessons, providing a testament of the power and significance of sharing our own stories. In honouring them, we recognise the importance of storytelling in understanding our past, navigating our present and shaping our future. My hope is that this podcast carries this spirit forward in our conversations, acknowledging that while our stories may differ, they all hold value and contribute to our shared human experience. Hey Mama, I'm Yara Heery and this is Life After Birth. This is where you can find honest and vulnerable conversations that lift the veil on how mothers really experience life after birth. Join me as I talk to the experts in the parenting space, but not as you've heard them before. These conversations explore the common humanity in all our lived experiences as mothers so that you're left feeling seen, heard, validated and bolstered in your ability to weather your mothering storms. Hey there, mamas. I hope you've had a wonderful week so far. This week, I'm talking to Dr. Kyla Smith, who is a pediatric dietitian and feeding specialist. She's a mum of two and the founder of the Baby, Toddler and Family Mealtimes online memberships. So in her work, she supports parents to feed their children with confidence so they grow up loving food and mealtimes. In our conversation this week, Kyla opens up about her journey from living a fast-paced, achievement oriented life to embracing the transformative role of being a mother. What I especially loved about our conversation was when Kyla talked about how her identity of being a good girl has shaped her parenting experience, but also how it's been challenged along the way. Some other themes we touched on include whether a right way to parent exists and letting go of unrealistic expectations the process of learning to tune into what feels good for you and your family, finding a sense of safety within the surrender that comes with being a mother, and that is a big one. We also talked about reframing our ever-changing identity as a mother in terms of an evolution rather than a loss, and the importance of recognising the social and cultural context of our experiences as mothers. This was such a wonderful conversation with Kyla, and I'm so glad that I got the chance to chat with her for the podcast. I've had a beautiful opportunity to meet her in real life too, which is always wonderful. She is a wealth of insights and knowledge, and I hope you get as much value from listening to this conversation as I did having it. I'm so excited to have you, Kyla, here in this episode, having a chat with me. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Wonderful. So I want to just jump straight into the deep end. I really want people who are listening, and I want to better understand as well, who you were before you became a parent, before you became a mother. So tell me a bit about your background, your family, if that feels comfortable to talk about, and who you thought you were before you had children. Who are you?
1: Um. Okay. I grew up in Perth in suburbia. I have a sister and a mum and a dad in my family. We had a pretty, well, we had, I guess we have, we have a pretty happy life. I have really fond memories of my childhood. I was a happy kind of kid. I was a good kid. And I probably say that in inverted commas. Um, I was not, I never felt real urges to like break rules or push boundaries or like I was Pretty compliant and easygoing. I was quite a doer and I guess I still am. I was a kid who got good grades and I won a scholarship to go to high school and I was an achiever. I probably did things like I did a lot of things. I wasn't super good at going slow or resting, but I always, like I felt reasonably comfortable in my own skin, even as a kid. Like 100% still, you know, typical childhood, teenage, fitting in kind of things. But I've never not felt good enough as somebody growing up. I always felt loved. I think I was quite an intuitive person from a fairly early age. Like I made friends fairly easily. I understand people. I can kind of read between the lines of things. I know in some ways, like I I get that too much. I tend to please. I'm a people pleaser. Um I like to think about things, I like to have opinions on things, I like to talk a lot, which has kind of led me to some of the work that I do. But yeah, I think probably prior to kids, like the biggest thing was I got stuff done. Like I saw a gap and I filled it. I saw a problem and I fixed it. I was constantly doing really. It was summary
0: of me. Yeah, I feel very much like I can relate to that. <laughs> and tell me a bit about what were you doing? What did your life look like in those years leading into when you became a mother?
1: I left high school and I went straight into studying nutrition. I knew... As I said, like I was a problem solver. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the problem I wanted to fix from an early age. I was the only kid at high school who like went to the dietitian at the careers expo. Like, this is what I'm doing. Tell me what I need to do. I don't need to shop around. I went straight through nutrition and I did my postgrad dip in dietetics and I graduated as a dietitian at the fresh age of like 21 or something crazy. Mm. And then I worked for pretty much 10 years. I actually took long service just as I was having my first baby when I was 32. So I worked in a heap of roles prior to that, and I really was super lucky to kind of dabble in lots of things and find my passion, you know, towards the end of that decade. So I worked in hospitals and community settings, in policy, in research, in one-on-one kind of private practice. I did my PhD in childhood weight management, I ran like multitudes of programs. I worked with thousands of families prior to deciding what I wanted to do for myself. And I went into private practice when I was, it was 2015. When I finished my PhD, I thought, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to do this better. I'm sick of working for others, the government. I want to do my own version of this. Yeah. And so I launched that in 2015, which initially was a a home visiting, fussy eating service that then kind of evolved to the point that when I took maternity leave, I handed it over to a friend, a close friend who I'd worked with previously. And she kind of ran the clinic side of things for a while. And I, when I went on maternity leave, was going to, my plan was to write a book. And I was going to write this book about feeding kids and the things that I thought needed to be different or that people needed to know that they didn't know. Yeah, And then Yeah, that book didn't eventuate, but it did turn into a multitude of online memberships, which is my kind of core business.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I'm wondering as you're speaking, if you're reflecting on it, or even if you have up until this point, is it sounds like there was a lot going on and it sounds like you were going fast. Like fast is the word that just kept landing with me as you were going through that, you know, which I resonate with so much because I was very like doing all the things going fast. I had things to accomplish. I had places to go. And that was very much my thing as well. And I also picked up what you were talking there about, you know, you mentioned people pleasing and being the good girl. So those things there, I'm really interested to know how that, I guess, progressed. How did that evolve for you during when you became a mother? So, so I guess then fast forward into, you know, being pregnant or thinking about going into becoming a mother, what were your thoughts Around that, what were the kind of, I guess, expectations you had both about pregnancy, if you can remember, or just in terms of being a mother and entering into that, you know, that phase of life?
1: Yeah. Great pickup. I think you nailed it. Um, I it was fast. I don't like to waste time making decisions. I think I'm kind of like, I'm quite intuitive. I can see like, this is my next best step. And I, just do it. I don't waste a lot of time weighing things up. But there were absolutely times. And I particularly remember a time when I was pregnant, where I was lecturing at the uni. I was working at the health department. I was running my own business. I was fitting in clients after work on some days. And there was a particular day where I... And this is super interesting because I like didn't like to work <laughs> at this point. Like I never identified as a person who worked too much, mm. but it got to a point with my own business where, like, there's always more clients, there's always more money, there's always more people to help, there's always more. And I really kind of had a lesson on boundary setting kind of several times. Like, I have relearned that lesson and I figure I will probably continue to relearn this lesson regularly. That I get to a point where I'm like, this is too much. Why am I doing this? Like, who is this benefiting? Nobody. Like, I'm not even. The best version of myself in those workplaces because I'm split between them. I'm trying to do multiple things. I think at that point, I was also like, I need to keep my maternity leave options open so that I'm, you know, going to be able to have time off and be paid for it. So I think I was conscious before that, like there are several times where I thought to myself, you need to be careful not to overload. You do not want to run yourself into the ground here. That doesn't help anyone. So I think when I was pregnant, I did try to keep that in mind as best as possible. I do remember in maternity leave, because I finished at 34 weeks and I knew I was probably having a plan C-section at about 39 weeks. I had gestational diabetes and a number of other things. So I knew I kind of had like a five-week period and I jammed full of stuff and on reflection, I'm like, that was silly. Like, you never get that time back again. Mm. But I was always like preparing ahead. Like, I'll be this far ahead with my reviews. I'll be this far ahead with my content. And yeah, so that was still very much part of me in that lead up being pregnant.
0: Mm. And what about in terms of your thoughts and sort of expectations about who you'd be as a mother? So, really about you know, what your vision was for yourself as a mother at that point and how you thought it might look like, what was that lead up like for you? Hey Mamas, it's Yara here from Life After Birth Psychology. I want to talk to you about something that many mothers carry a lot of shame about, and that's anger. Have you ever found yourself thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Why can't I just stay calm? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. So many mothers quietly worry about their anger. But did you know that your anger carries messages that can unlock a more regulated and fulfilling experience for you as a mother? To support you in changing your relationship with anger, I have created a self-paced online workshop designed to help you understand your anger and learn to process and express it in more adaptive and healthy ways. Within the workshop, you'll explore the role of your nervous system, the hidden messages in your emotions, and even how your past influences how you respond to challenge and stress today. But the best part, you'll gain practical tools that'll help you gracefully steer through those intense moments, all while deepening the heartfelt connections you cherish with your children and loved ones. Ready to get started? All you have to do is head to lifeafterbirthpsychology.podia.com, scroll down and click on my Why Am I So Angry workshop. You can also check out the link in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show.
1: Yeah, like I have always wanted to be a mother. I am not sure that I was ready and I don't know that you ever are ready Yes. (laughs)
0: Mm, yes.
1: <laughs> I felt like a certain pressure in terms of age and in terms of people around me having babies. And I I wanted it, but I don't know that I was a 100% like, okay, this is exactly how it's going to be. Or I didn't have really strong visions of what I would be like. I did think I would be... Like more of a shaper that I would have this responsibility or this like desire to raise this child in a certain way. And I think my expectation around that was probably quite different to reality. And I think I thought, I knew it would be hard. I didn't have any expectation that it would be simple. I had worked with enough families to see the reality of parenthood and, you know, obviously not the day in, day out, but I knew it would be tough. I think I probably didn't expect it to be tough in the ways that it was tough maybe, and I probably expected that there would be more just like more ease. Do you know, I expected it to be hard, but I also expected there to be more ease in there.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mean like you, you expected it to be hard because you had some idea and I think, you know, working with this demographic in your own job absolutely gives you some insight and especially – with the work you were doing specifically, some insight into at least one very specific challenge, which is for some people, you know, quite significant. But it sounds like you thought, even with that, that you would have what you needed to sort of overcome that, right? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I thought I was pretty well equipped with what I had done for work, what I had done, you know, like just the people around me. But I also thought that like, if you did things a certain way, your child would, do certain things as a result, Mm. you know, because I had worked for a long time in therapy with families where we could change certain aspects, particularly feeding, right, and the way that, you know, parents could understand feeding we could work on that connection and relationship and all of those things, positive outcomes, right? Yeah. But I kind of then assumed that everything I did would have either a positive outcome or a not positive outcome and then you would kind of problem solve those things and,
0: you know, solve them. Mm. I really want to. I want to jump on that so badly because I feel like you've really talked about what you've raised there it is really profound. I think, and it is it is what so many of us think in terms of there is a right way, there's the right way to parent, and if I follow these rules and these guidelines and these right ways to parent then my child will be happy my child won't be difficult my child won't whine my child won't have meltdowns like all of this kind of thing and there is an element of that that i think you know from a social perspective i feel like that if that ties into the good child and then to the good mother right because the good mother is the one that has the good child who doesn't do all of the the hard stuff right yeah from where I'm standing now which is on the other side of actually being a mother and I mean on the other side in terms of not that I'm hugely far along but I mean I have children now it's just so much more complex isn't it like it's so much more complex than simply I do this and I get that outcome
1: Yeah.
0: and so I'm really interested to know how how that went for you. So I guess moving from this place that we're at now, where we're talking about what you were thinking would come, some of the things that I'm really hearing in what you're saying is like the idea that you had what you needed on board already to kind of overcome whatever challenge was coming. And so I'm wondering if that is leading to a place where you learned something different there in that space. And also I'm hearing about And I feel like this ties into it, right? Like I know what to do. So if I do the right things, then all will be well. So I'm really interested. Tell us a little bit more about what it was really like then once you became a mother, you know, what were those challenges and whether or not there was any movement in those two kind of ways of thinking there that, you know, sound pretty interlinked in some ways as well.
1: I think there's constant moving in that way of thinking. I feel like, you know, five years on, I have learned a lot of lessons from my kids. And I think that's something I probably didn't expect about parenthood to to learn so much from my babies, do you know, Yeah. and really to grow so much from my experiences there. And I, it took me a long time, I think, to be able to see it that way rather than like things aren't working and I'm doing the right things. What is going on? We had a really tough experience with sleep with my first baby Mm -hmm. and it just, I I think it still like traumatizes me today when I think about how exhausted I felt and how tough things were. I remember we got to the point that we had a sleep consultant come to our house. She must've been about seven months old. And I remember taking her through her room, like, it's really dark. There are no cracks. I have the white noise on the right level. She's in the right top sleeping bag. I've controlled the temperature. Like, why will she not sleep? And she like kind of checked all these things off. Like, yeah, you have. And you've read all the things. And I was like, I really needed validation that I'm, I'm following the rules and the rules are not working for me. So where does this go? Which I think also played into a bit of resentment early on with my first particularly when she didn't do what I wanted her to do and in fact like that's been a huge lesson for me over that time is that actually my job is not to get her to do the things I think she needs to do like my job is to get to know her and support her in the things that she wants to do in a way that kind of works for our family and I don't have to shape her or do to her yes and it is constant. Like I will constantly check myself in like, it's important to who that she runs in the color run that she doesn't want to run in. Like it's important to who that, you know, these things happen. But as a baby, I, and particularly as a sleep deprived new parent, and I think I was really lucky. Like I didn't have any postnatal depression or anxiety. I was, you know, fairly well supported. I had lots of kind of protective factors in place and I still found that really hard and I really resented everyone around me who gave me advice because they obviously like things were working for them and they were trying to help me by giving me the advice that will work for them and that's that assumption, right? If I do these things, my child will do these things. And so some of my friends telling me, oh, my child, you know, sleeps really well if I do this thing. Yeah, I know. Like,
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I haven't tried that. Yeah, I'm interested, like, I want to pull something in here. So you mentioned there, there was a comment that you made and then you kept on going and you said things aren't working and I'm doing the right things. And I was really interested about, so if things aren't working and you're doing the right things, what's the meaning?
1: The baby's faulty, right?
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: She's not doing what she's expected to do. This infant is not playing by the rules. And I like, I'm obsessed by rules. Yeah, yeah. I'm all about fairness. I'm doing the right things. This is unfair.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing then that's where that resentment came from, right? Like the idea of like, this isn't fair. This baby isn't doing the right thing, but I'm doing all the right things. Was there ever a point there where it was also about whether or not you were doing the right things? Does that make sense? Like I'm doing all the things that are right and my baby isn't playing fair, or is this about me? Like, was there ever a point where where it kind of turned? It absolutely was. Yeah. In the crux of it, no. After we kind of came out of
1: that shell shock, I guess. Absolutely. I would be like, hang on a second. This always goes downhill every time I've got something important the next day. Like, okay, <laughs> what what's going on for me? What energy am I giving off here? What, what does that, kind of represent or what does it mean or maybe it's a coincidence or maybe actually I need to be a bit more flexible with some of these things or a bit more aware of my role and, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think it really, one of the things that I'm hearing so far from you is, is how important it is in becoming a mother to to learn about who we are as people and to learn about who our babies are and to allow for a level of flex and flow there to be able to make adjustments and go, okay, you know, so for example, in the sleeping, right? Like, okay, my baby, I've done all these things and my baby isn't sleeping. So, you know, rather than, because so many of us can either go, well, I must be doing something wrong, I'm a terrible mother, or maybe my child is faulty or whatever, that it's like, okay, maybe this isn't the way, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah, being able to have that flexibility. And I think also the other thing that I'm, Wondering about for you is in my own experience being someone who was so driven and who was goal oriented and who was like, I've got deadlines, this needs to be done here. Da, 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 da. Like, when I tried to apply that into my life as a mother, it always turned into just crazy, like chaos. And me crying, babies crying, like it, you know, it was just, it never worked. It, so it was a real process for me of surrendering to the fact that I'm no longer in control anymore.
1: Yes. Render is a perfect word.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not in control. And some areas, you know, you do have control of, obviously, but I'm not in control the way I used to be. And also learning how to feel safe within that because I think a lot of that is where that comes from for us right like that we feel safe when we're in control when we can predict what the outcome is going to be and you know for some of us that's rooted in you know our early experiences with our parents and that doesn't mean when I say that I don't necessarily even mean that we've had trauma or anything significant it's just simply the way that interaction happens within a family right Or it could be through other life experiences that we've been through and stuff like that. But I think that that control part, and even, you know, we might even use the word perfectionism that can exist in this mothering space. It's such a big barrier for us to experience the ease that you were talking about that felt really elusive, right?
1: Yeah. And I think for me and a lot of my friends who are, you know, professional women who have worked hard in their pre-kid life who have achieved amazing things that a lot of our life before kids was, you know, like KPIs and ticking boxes and doing amazing stuff and making like significant change. And then to be almost overnight in a position where actually all of these things are not in my control and are not that I can apply a formula and have the results is a real adjustment And I think it's part of that loss of identity as well, right? Like you are, you know, a high flyer or a career person or, you know, you're a person who gets things done. And then all of a sudden, you know, I remember a time where I didn't feel like I could go and get my lunch because I was rocking this stupid bassinet and I was like all shaky because I was so hungry, but I couldn't, I couldn't kind of put those two things together about like, is this, is this really? How I want to do this? Yeah. Like,
0: no. (laughs) It's so like that, isn't it? That often when we are in the thick of any particular moment, it's almost like we're down in a tunnel, like we're down at the bottom of a well, and all we can see is the walls around us. And all we have to do is look up, right? And then you could see the light, and potentially through the light, you might see like a ladder that's in the side of the well, and you can kind of climb your way out of it. But when you're in there, it's like you're just oblivious. Yeah.
1: And it's not helpful if people are yelling at you like use the ladder. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't see the ladder. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. I think what we need in those instances is actually someone else who can just sit there with us in that space and be with us while we calm ourselves enough to be able to, to see the ladder, right? Or to look up to see the light or
1: which is such a hard thing to do because even now if I talk to some of my friends and like their baby's woken up at 4am, you know, several days in a row, like our natural instinct is like, is she cold? Have you thought about the, you know, is something happening at that time? Is the white noise loud. And it just, it's such a natural problem solving instinct, which actually isn't always
0: helpful. Yeah. As you're talking about the problem solving thing, and even talking about that difficulty that we have, you know, that you and I, I guess, have had in letting go of control. It's also making me think about the broader culture that we're in. And I guess, you know, one of the things, I guess one of the lenses that I apply to the work that I do is very much like a feminist kind of lens. And so looking at, you know, the patriarchy, but also looking at the different ways of being in the world because we're all so diverse and what is actually valued versus what is diminished or dismissed. And so one of the things I'm thinking about is, you know, of course we as people, we as women are focused on or get a lot of fulfilment through control and having outcomes and having efficiency and all of that sort of stuff because those qualities which we might identify as maybe more masculine kind of qualities, and when I say masculine I don't mean man and woman, that's not what I'm talking about. In a psychology sense I think you can also think about this as left and right brain. That is kind of the kind of behaviour, the stability, the unchanging right like that kind of thing they're such valued qualities in our culture and these qualities I think which may be you know seen as more feminine qualities which is like flow and surrender and flexibility and you know connection to emotion connection to body that sort of stuff they're so diminished in our culture that it's no wonder that when we enter mothering Those things are the things we need to lean into. Those are the things that we need in order to experience more ease, I think, in many ways. But because we're so used to operating in a world that is dominated by an overvaluing of those more control sort of elements, it's so hard for us to let go. And we feel like, you know, even when you talked about identity, I don't know if you said loss or change you know, so many women that I have spoken to really feel like it's a loss, but it really is just a change. It's an evolution, right? Yes. And I really feel like from a, you know, our culture really does us a disservice in that way, in terms of viewing the mother in all of its feminine beauty as less than in some way, right? And so, you know, for myself, I certainly have experienced, especially early on, really feeling like, man, I've just really fallen from where I was before. Like there I was doing all this stuff out there performing and doing my work in psychology and da-da-da and now look at me like I'm doing da 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 you know. But like now I'm also kind of thinking I see that as, wow, it was such a massive learning and growing opportunity. I see myself as a richer version of who I used to be now. All of this, I would agree. You know, yeah, all of the like the breaking down and the undoing that happened, right? And how necessary that was. And how, for me personally, I've been able to experience so much healing actually for my own history in that breaking down and in that undoing and in that vulnerability that I don't know if I would have been able to do it, certainly not in the same speed, but I don't know if I would have been able to do it to the same degree without that. But, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, that cultural pressure about what is valued and what isn't and how that sort of influenced your experience.
1: Absolutely. And I think I really brought a lot of masculine energy in that first part of having Elsie particularly. I wasn't slow. I wasn't in flow. I wasn't like I was trying to get stuff done and, like, get out and meet people and do things. And I think there was one time I vividly remember this time, When I went to change a nappy and I thought, when did I actually like last look at you, like look at you in your eyes and connect with you in this rather than like nappy change and feeding and this and that. And I still remember that, that moment when I was like, hold on a second, like this is not, this is not what it's about. Like I have this baby here who I'm kind of glossing over a little bit. That was a big moment for me. And I don't even know where it necessarily came from, but I just remember thinking I could look at her in the eyes and slow down. Mm. But I also remember a time when I took her to meet a friend at a cafe where we had regularly gone prior to having a baby and my experience as a mother with a baby as opposed to a professional woman meeting another professional friend, I was treated completely differently at this favorite place that I used to go and I felt like we were taking up space, my baby needed to be quiet and it was probably a lot of my own beliefs. Like I don't know that they necessarily did anything in the cafe to make me feel less than but like I stopped going to that cafe because I just felt like oh, I'm out of place here now and I'm less at that point even though I clearly I am so much richer because of my kids. But at that time, that value in our society was like a woman doing business kind of there is very different to a mum who's bringing this baby. And, yeah, yeah, I think it's a really different
0: Mm. perspective. And I think, you know, that story that you just told about the cafe and about I didn't go there anymore, you know, whether or not people there were actually looking and thinking in that way or not, I think the outcome is that in essence you take up less space as a mother and that's also one of the things that I'm so passionate about trying to encourage women to continue to take up space especially when they become mothers and to allow both the beautiful wonderful you know Instagram worthy parts of motherhood be seen but also the parts that are challenging and for our culture to actually be upfront with that and in their face about that because I feel like that is the way that we change it And obviously that means that for us as the mothers in those situations, it means we have to get comfortable in that discomfort, right? Because it's not going to feel that nice for us either.
1: I remember a time where I didn't feel comfortable taking my baby into our backyard in case she cried too loudly to interrupt somebody in their day. Like now I look back and I think, oh gosh, like what pressure to have at that time mm. but also like well my baby's crying like that's what happens when you have a baby and that's fine take up the space
0: yeah yeah so tell me about that feels like a really big change right like to go from a point where you fear being in your backyard because your daughter's going to cry and someone's going to be inconvenienced by the sound of a baby
1: Right. That is a big challenge for me, inconveniencing others, a sense of burden. Yep.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I'm sure that you're aware of this, but, you know, there's like a thread here, right, like in terms of all the way back to where we started talking, which was you growing up and wanting to, describing yourself, I guess, as that good girl. Has that been kind of the work for you in this journey? I think the work for me
1: has been... I think it's a big part of it, yeah. I think the surrender and the embracing of what it is, kind of warts and all, has been, you know, like that perfectionism, like it it runs deep in me and I am conscious of it and I am constantly working on, you know, having that dominate less and being able to, you know, have a half dead plant behind me because actually I haven't had time to water yeah, it. And, there's mine. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before the thing, I was like, oh, no, not another thing on my list. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think there has been a real softening mm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really lucky that I found the people that I found around that time who kind of showed me a better way maybe it's not even better an easier a something that felt more fitting Mm. and I think that's kind of been a a story of my evolution as a mother as well is I still want to read the things and understand and know but I'm about like fitting them to my family rather than fitting my family Mm. to the rules if that makes sense
0: oh it totally makes sense yeah I'm thinking about that comment, right? Like things aren't working and I'm doing the right things or like this is the formula and rather being like, I'll give that a go. Oh, it doesn't work. I'll tweak this. I'll tweak that. How do I make this work for me?
1: And I'm a really strong believer in having a philosophy or a, a flow around, like I don't want to fly by the seat of my pants. I know that there are elements where you have to, and that's fine, but I don't want to be blind in my parenting. I want to be conscious about the things I choose, the way I do things, the things that are important to me and that are important to my kids. And so I think I've found a better balance between, yeah, the shoulds and the kind of what what feels right for us and what feels,
0: yeah, let flow. Mm. I'm wondering if what you're talking about there is one of the things that I often talk to people when, especially when they're really riddled with guilt and even shame and feelings of kind of unworthiness or not enoughness in their mothering. One of the things that I work with people is kind of getting to understand what are those beliefs that are guiding them in mothering? And where do those beliefs sort of feed into the shoulds, right? And the shoulds are often like the unrealistic expectations that we have around how we perform as mothers or how our children behave as children, right? And one of the things that I often get people to do is to start to be directed in their journey and in their behaviour and in trying to shift their thinking, trying to be directed rather then externally by looking at what is really meaningful for me and like, what is, what are my highest values in parenting and in other areas of life too, right? But in that space of mothering, what are my highest values? Like, how do I want my children to remember me? If someone asks them at 25, describe your mother, how do I want them to speak about me? Like, what are the memories that I want them to have? And through that process, we're able to kind of get a sense of, what is most meaningful and important for our family. And often that looks really different to the guiding principles that they've been working with that are really very external and that are really rooted in the desire to to show up in accordance to the social rules of how we show up as women, because that dominates everything for us, even as mothers, right, as women, but as mothers and as people, right? And often that is about, you know, how do we receive validation, Externally, right? Like whether that's, you know, rooted in our childhood around, I received validation in my family by being, say, the good girl or by achieving really well in school or by always looking after other people's emotions in my family or whatever it may be, right? Like looking at that and sort of going, how has it shaped you? How has that been helpful? Because often these things, like they have been really helpful, right? Like they have provided us with a base to be able to succeed in some way in life, right? But it's kind of like I feel like mothering is one of those times where often those things start to crumble because there's so much demand. There is so much demand, right? And so it's like we have to then start to say, well, what is most meaningful for my family? And often that does look really different to things that we may have done before. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about here because you're talking about you know, coming from a place which was like, here are the rules, here's the kind of the guidebook on all the right things to do as a parent, and then your children will be good kids. So you can be the good mother. And then you've gone, actually, that doesn't even work. Like the kids don't respond in that way, because of course, they're all individuals. And it's really given you space and opportunity to say, well, what actually works for us? And what feels good for us? Because I think the feeling good is a really big part of that as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think, Asking yourself what you want in 20 years time is really powerful because I think in the overwhelm of particularly parenting little people is there are so many decisions to make all the time. And it is so hard not to make those decisions with a very short term view, you know, about shutting things down or making like that nap longer or like we're very kind of in the moment, which is good in some ways, but also our strategies or our philosophies are kind of short-sighted because when we think about these kind of bigger people or these adults, and this is like huge in my work, you know, when you think about eating, we can spend a heap of energy trying to get a baby to eat more. But actually, if we ask, you know, do you want your 25 year old to, Be able to confidently eat a wide variety of foods and feel good about their body and feel like they can trust their tummy, like all of those things. Actually, a lot of our short term strategies don't even vaguely link to those long term outcomes that we would want. Mm -hmm. And kind of zooming out, it's hard when you're in a place of, you know, sleeplessness and oh
0: my goodness. Yeah
1: overwhelm and you can't see the forest from the trees absolutely yeah
0: yeah it is it's so challenging especially yeah the early years there is so much need so much demand and it's also a time when we have a lot of our own needs that really don't go met you know and so that makes it so so challenging and I love that you are comparing that experience to the work that you do in terms of saying well let's look at the long-term Thing And I remember actually, I think it was one of the mums in my mother's group, you know, because obviously food, I get that. It was a big discussion. Like I had my first- Makes (laughs) him a big part of life, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. My firstborn like literally ate everything and still does. He's just like, yeah, never any issue. And then I had a second who was much, much more complex than that and still is. And, you know, one of the biggest things, one of the most helpful things I think that we were able to do was just to say- yeah, let's just, let's trust her in terms of what she wants. And I feel like that feeds into not just food, but in fact, everything, right? Because so many of us have had lifetime experiences where our intuition or our preferences or our likes and dislikes were overrided by our parents or by our culture or whatever. And then it means that our kind of repertoire of behavior for what we know how to do, what could potentially feel good, and this extends into mothering, it becomes really limited and then we feel that if things aren't working that it's our fault rather than just trying different things. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, that ability to give children autonomy to make decisions for, you know, how full they are or how they want to eat because mine just eat all throughout the day is a beautiful thing. It's like teaching our kids you can judge through your body as well, like what feels good for you, like when you are full, what feels good, maybe extending that out to like when it feels good to be around certain people versus other people who maybe don't feel good, you know, all of that sort of stuff, which is really important for us to have on board as adults but also in this space, right, in this, and that's where that flow comes from, that ability to say, oh, you know, in this moment this isn't feeling good to my body. And so I'm going to change course here, right? And that includes how we parent, but also moment to moment, how we feel as we parent as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I'd love to know, you know, when I asked you about what your work was in being a mother so far, because obviously that can change, you talked about being able to surrender. And I feel like that's the work for so many of us. And I was sort of asking you as well around whether the kind of letting go, better understanding about the good girl and how that reflects back onto your own children, right? Like in terms of if they're being the good children, if that feels like that was part of that as well. So what have been your kind of biggest learnings in those spaces then? What are the takeaways for you? I
1: think for me, one of the big takeaways is around that trust piece. And it's almost not kind of letting go as much rather than kind of passing some things back my kids or kind of sharing the load. And I think the biggest thing I have learned is that it's not actually my job to create these kids, like to shape them. I think that's a really strong message that we have to shape our kids into these kind of kind, respectful citizens. And actually my kids are who they are And some of the things I do will play into that, but actually I don't want to change the course of who they are. My job is to be with them rather than like above them or Mm -hmm. whatever, but really trusting them with a lot of the things that they already know how to do, or they already know about their body or themselves, their fears or their focuses. It really, I think... Is about knowing them and that's been a big reframe for me because I do think I feel like I want them to be a kind kid. I want them to be a kid who's not, you know, screaming at another child on the playground because they're on the swing and she's not. Yeah. Like those things I still feel uncomfortable (laughs) about at times, but it's a conscious thing that I'm, I mean, I'm learning it every day. So it's certainly not something I've mastered just yet.
0: Mm. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, it's a, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? And it sounds like really what you're talking about is learning that, that your role to some extent is really just about creating a safe space for them to explore who they are and to allow that to develop. And I think that when you provide safe spaces for children, they naturally develop into, you know, good citizens of the world, right? Like in terms of when you provide a safe space for children, they learn how to be a safe place for other people too, right? And so there's much less of that intentional teaching of how to be a good kid, right?
1: That is something that really resonates with me. There is less intentional teaching, but I also feel like the work that I'm putting in in terms of thinking about the type of parent that i want to be and the things that i will hold true to don't necessarily pay off in the moment right like the approach to parenting or the approach to discipline in, in whatever sense you use that for me it's like i'm actually i'm thinking long term here like my kids probably aren't going to conform or do what i necessarily want them to do in this moment and that's okay it's a long game you know and that's That's food and I've 100% believed that from the start with food and it's probably, you know, taken me a few years to really understand that actually that applies to pretty much every aspect of parenting. It's a long game. It's not about immediate controlling behaviour or anything like that. And I think that's challenging in a society where some of those things are valued. Like kids being good kids, sitting quietly, doing those things is seen as a good thing. So yeah, there's a constant challenge.
0: Yeah. And I actually now that you've mentioned the good kid, I want to come back to that and ask you, how do you feel? Where is your good girl sitting at the moment?
1: I think it's an ebb and flow kind of thing. And I think probably parenting has helped me a little bit with that, in that like some days I feel like I'm nailing life, right? I've got like the slow cooker on. I'm like, this is sort of I'm, you know, thinking about their needs. Everyone's kind of feeling good. And then the next day it's a hot mess of. Do you know everything I feel like the good girl in me is less less explained by those things like they're not a reflection of me even though I'm still like praising myself like oh
0: I've got my stuff together like mm, right. hey but you've got to celebrate the wins right like when it all <laughs> no. falls, when it all falls into place you've got to be like I am gonna remember this for the whole right. next month like and maybe maybe
1: that's the difference like I'm not blaming myself mm. when it's in a mess. That's not because I didn't do X, Y, and Z. Like yeah. people are upset, not because of you know everyone's crying, but not because I stuffed it up or I didn't do enough. I certainly, well, I don't have time to worry about that kind of stuff, right? Like life is <laughs> too much to be, <laughs> yeah, you know, questioning every decision. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, I'm still a good girl. Like I still <laughs> have that really need to do the right thing, but yeah.
0: I think, though, that the need or the desire to want to do the right thing doesn't necessarily like, I mean, the way that I think about the good girl is I really think about, you know, the desire to want to do what is in the best interest for other people Yeah. at the cost of our own needs. That's really the way that I think about it. So I feel like wanting to do what feels right from a moral yes. or ethical perspective doesn't necessarily feed into or need to be a reflection of that kind of that archetype of the good girl. I feel like you can have that and still be like, I'm going to uphold my boundaries.
1: Yeah. Good clarification. Yeah. You know
0: what I mean? Like, I feel like you can still have that. hundred percent. And I
1: think the boundary holding is still a big, a big piece of work for me in business, in my personal life, all of the things. Yes. I would say that is something that I'm aware of and not hugely skilled at holding
0: yet. Mm. And I feel like you're not alone. <laughs> like <laughs> We just, we act because, you know, like we're, especially as women, you know, we have to look at it from that perspective. Like, especially as women, we are trained for the exact opposite of that, which is to completely have no boundaries. Yes. And, you know, to make sure that everybody else is at ease and to make sure that everybody else is comfortable and that if we're doing that, we're doing a good job and to kind of dismiss or ignore those internal feelings that we have of discomfort about that, you know what I mean? So I feel like if you feel like that is still your work, I feel like that's fine, like all, all yeah. of us. Are, you know, that's the work for so many of us constantly.
1: And that is something that I have always felt confident with in motherhood is that this is not unique to me, right? I actually feel supported in like, most of my friends are struggling with a variation of this. Most of us are having difficulties like this. Do you know I have never felt like, oh, that's something I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's that's us as a as a collective.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that's a good thing to understand it for anyone who's out there and and maybe is hearing this kind of content for the first time or really starting to think about this differently, like this idea of self-sacrifice, because I feel like also when we know that we've crossed a boundary or haven't upheld a boundary for ourselves and we suffer for that, we can also get into a place where we then start to shame ourselves, right? We blame ourselves and say that this is evidence of there being a fault with us in some ways. And I think that's the value of applying a lens to our own unique experience that includes the information at large right so like looking at the social context that we live in is so important because it allows us to say this is not just a problem that I have it's a problem that the collective has and what does that say about the culture that we live in rather than what does that say about me right because I, I think that so many of the the issues that we have in lots of areas of life but especially in this mothering space I mean obviously that's where I do my work is that there is a broader issue. There is a collective problem. And unfortunately though, because mothering is so behind closed doors, we can get into the, we can make the mistake, I guess, of believing that we're the only ones struggling with that. And so, you know, this is why we're having these conversations, right? So other people can hear and say, okay, I really hear myself in that story. And also to know that Undoing that is like a lifelong process as well, isn't it? I mean, the age that you're at, the age that I am, you know, like it's like, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. You know,
1: and I feel okay about that in a way. Mm. Like I'm frustrated that that's the setup of society, you know, but I also feel like at this point in my late thirties with my children, I am thinking about myself and my growth and like, there is time for all of those things. Like I don't have to get that done tomorrow like I have a tendency to do and
0: maybe that's growth too, you know, that I can it, just. I was just thinking that. I was like, hey, hey, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> like there we have some evidence of that, absolutely, of just like, yeah, we I can take my time. Yeah. There is no rush. Yeah.
1: And I can enjoy it, you know. I can kind of enjoy knowing myself more and knowing my kids more and what works for us as a family and what works for me and what I need because I think also I haven't done it. I haven't really prioritised what I need mm. for a while. And
0: I can do that. Yeah. I can work towards that. That's right. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So I'd love to know what would you most most like to impart on mothers who are listening today? Oh, that's
1: a big question. I would like them to number one, know that they're not alone. And if it's something's happening to them, it's a hundred percent happening to a big proportion of the population. But also that they can trust their babies and trust their toddlers and trust their kids to do well, do you know, to thrive, and that it's not our responsibility to make them into what society says they should be it's actually just okay to love our kids do our things our own way work out what feels right and it can feel good for your family like you don't have to be rule bound or under pressure from others to do things in a certain way you can find your own flow and yeah there's no right way
0: yeah I feel like it's safe to make it up as you go.
1: (laughs) So it's like,
0: you know what I mean? It's safe to just allow that to evolve.
1: And if you don't feel like you can make it up as you go at this point, like absolutely you can take guidance from others. You know, it's really helpful to seek professional opinions when you need them, but also to take from them what you need. You know, you don't have to take every single word that is is said to you. And it's okay to kind of blend that so that it works for. Mm. Yeah, the, the family that you have.
0: Yes, I love that. That's a beautiful message to leave mothers with. I hope that you can really allow that to land within you. That's really beautiful. So I would love to, just as we are rounding out and finishing off here, I'd love to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions, which oh no, it's okay, <laughs> I know everyone always is like, ah. I know I like to put people on the spot. No, but this is actually, as I've said in other episodes, the way that I fill out my list of things to watch and read and listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to know what are you listening to at this moment in your life? So whether that's music, a particular artist or podcasts, I have just started listening to The Imperfects. Oh, isn't it brilliant?
1: Oh, I love it. I'm particularly yeah. into the Kate from Loon. We yes. were just in Melbourne with our family and we were lucky enough to go to Loon. The new store that's opened and there was no queue and we ordered like $50 worth of
0: wow, and it was
1: like the best like half hour of my life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yum. Yes.
1: So I am listening to that podcast and I am really enjoying that.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm really, I'm just all for the big conversations. Yeah, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. It's beautiful, The Imperfects. And what is the last TV show that you binged? The last TV? I sound a bit like a
1: a boring person. I'm not a huge TV.
0: Do you know that everyone says that and then they always have a really good show?
1: No, I don't (laughs) even think I do. Like My one guilty pleasure, which I feel... Equally excited about and equally sick about because i'm all about like rallying against the patriarchy but i love the kardashians and <laughs> i love watching them. i love it and so i'm equal like thrilled to watch it and like oh i'm doing the to you yeah know, feminism but also i just really like watching that and that happens to be on a night that my husband plays basketball so i have like the tv to myself and oh. i hang out for thursdays to watch that
0: show do you know what that sounds like magic
1: <laughs> it is magic I I
0: love it. Yeah.
1: It sounds great. And then I listen to while I pack lunch boxes after that, I listen to a recap of the episode, a podcast <laughs> recap. I love it. Called comments by celebs and it is they are way
0: deeper than me and I just I live for that. Like 2-hour session. 1 hour of the show and then 1 hour of Yeah. Do you know what? I don't think you need any shame around that. Like it's fine. I'm the kind of person that like literally if I'm sitting there or in the kitchen or whatever and the TV comes on, it doesn't matter what comes on. I'll be deeply into it and I'll be like Googling (laughs) it later. Like, so I'm the worst because I'll watch anything. And I feel like, you know, in this stage of life as well, like I feel like just tuning out to a bit of that gossipy, whatever, like it's just kind of like you're just. You're getting out of the zone. You know what I mean? And
1: honestly, I have no brain space for sadness, for horror and killing. And yeah, like I just. I have no leftover emotional capacity for a lot of that stuff on TV. So it really is a bit of vacuous escapism.
0: Exactly. I get that. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. And what's the most influential book you've read? And, you know, if you have more than one, that's fine because people often struggle to just come up with just one. So I'd love to know.
1: I do like to read. I've had a couple of influential books. I would say from a personal life, one of the most influential books I've read is The Bronze Horseman by Paulina Simmons, which is 100% a fiction story. But my best friend and I went to Russia because of that book Mm. and followed the trail of Tatiana through Russia. Wow. Maybe 12 years ago. Amazing. And that was like a highlight of my life that that was just phenomenal. Brilliant. And that was a book that Every friend of mine read and we discussed in detail at a time where we had like time to read and have book club and drink wine and talk about Tatiana and the dream. (laughs) Um, yeah, anyway, and Alex, but so that was probably like from a a young version of me, Mm. from a parent version of me, I would say the most influential book I have ever read is No Bad Kids Mm. by Janet Lansbury. I love that book. That was the starting point for me of really changing how I parented and really what I valued and what I wanted in my kids. And that led me that book to find the resources that really supported me and to see what my child needed at that time. And I was like, I was really blessed at that time with my first one was hugely strong-willed and independent and very clear on what she needed and wanted. And, you know, she taught me a heap and having that book and really believing in that book gave me a real strength. Yeah. I really think that's when things shifted for me from kind of babyhood to toddlerhood and really like knowing this little person and knowing how to best support her. That was powerful. I recommend that to everybody I know.
0: I love that book. I think I read that book at least once a year and it's always where I'm in a rut of parenting and I'm like, my kids are like little devils and and I'm feeling like nothing I'm doing is effective. And then I read that book and it just puts everything back into context for me. Yeah. And of course they aren't little devils and it allows me yes. to get back into that place where I feel delight in them yes. and where I can see the best in them, even when they can't do that for themselves. And I love that a book has the ability of pulling me out of that that well that, you know, that we all can get into sometimes. I yeah, I absolutely love that book and recommend it a lot. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I find it really hard to listen to the podcast version of that. I've tried multiple occasions and I I just it doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. For some reason. But the book is it speaks to my soul. And I, yeah, have learned a lot of lessons from that book.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so very much for your time in this chat today. I just have really enjoyed it. And I know that mamas out there listening are going to resonate so much with what we've talked about. Where can listeners find out more about you?
1: Thank you. It was honestly my pleasure to be here. Probably the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. I'm at dr underscore Kyla, or you can check out my offerings, which are mealtimes.com.au.
0: They're probably the two best. Beautiful. And I will make sure to link those in the show notes. So thank you so much. I, I have felt seen in this conversation. I have felt seen in your experiences and I know that others will too. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me, Mama. If you enjoyed this episode, I would just love for you to leave me a review and follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me over at Instagram where my handle is at Psychology, and you can find out more about how I can support you on your mothering journey at my website, www.lifeafterbirth.com.au. See you back here soon for our next chat.